Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Authorised Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. Uh, Nick Stewart, who is the CEO of the Stewart Group from right here in Hastings. And uh, before we get into today's topic, we're going to talk a bit about the budget. Nick, just remind the listeners, uh, Stewart Group, what are you guys all about? Well, yeah, as I, you know, we were talking before, all things financial planning. Look, yeah. we like to help people make smart decisions with their money and, you know, how they protect their business, themselves and their family from um, the what-ifs. Yes, and it's not about the uh, people who are perceived to be uh, the well-heeled and wealthy. It's anyone. Anyone can come and see you, can't they? Yeah, correct, correct. Because, look, at some point, um, you know, when someone has a lot of money, at some point they didn't. Yes. So they either they either inherited a lot of capital or they made a lot of capital, either through a bit of luck or just good old-fashioned hard work. Yeah. I was reading an interesting article the other day, just digressing a little bit, about mm. uh, several people who had won very large lotteries yes and how in very short time some of them ended up with nothing and they could have well done to come and see someone like yourself yeah yeah look and you know here you were reading about lottery winners i was reading the other day about sports stars and uh, rap artists yeah and the amount of money these people seem to be able to rinse through their fingers uh in a matter of a couple of years Mm. is phenomenal you know, you'd actually have to really think about how you did it. Yeah. But uh, but some people can, and it's just, um, you know, creating wealth requires, you know, discipline, hard work, and a little bit of luck. Most people will be honest and say that, you know. Yeah, a few things few things fall the right way for you, and uh, particularly in those first few years. And it's similar, you know, if you think about, if you think about, you know, winning a large amount of money when you, you know, it's either an inheritance or uh, in the form of a lottery win. A lot of people, they just, they don't have the understanding, um, the mental fortitude to actually to actually better cope with what it mm. means to handle that amount of capital. Because yeah. you got to remember that those that often inherit it are frequently, they've grown up understanding how that works. Yes. You know, like a, I call it a semi-apprenticeship basis over, li- over a lifetime. You mm. think about people who own three and four and five generation farms. Well, yep. You know, things are taught from um, you know, cradle to grave. Whereas those that win, a lot of, uh, win the lottery, there was no training. No. Uh, you didn't sign up for it. It just happened. You signed up for it by buying a lotto ticket and hallelujah, you know, you got... The, the one in 150 million <laughs> chance or whatever the figure is, yes. and, and, and it, it arrives, and then you have the... Yeah, the weight of responsibility, expectations of family, friends, community, and it can be overwhelming for many. And they're just—it's extremely difficult. And um, many folk wished and uh, wished they'd never won it and rude the day they did. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite true what you say. I think that if you've never had it and all of a sudden you've got millions, then you could probably just go a bit uh, mental with it, couldn't you? Just go and spend and spend and spend. But mm. you know, quite frankly, if I want it, I might invest in a Harley Davidson. But that, <laughs> that would be where I would stop because you know, I'm, hey. I'm sort of quite happy everywhere else. Uh, what about you? What would, be, what would your indulgence be if you want a whole lot of money like that? I don't know, mate. Well, 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 well for start, I'd clear any indebtedness that I have you know, on mm. business or uh, property. Um, I don't know, probably Ford pays some school fees. Yeah. <laughs> How sensible of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe try to take a small holiday just to, um, you know, just to decompress and, and you know, take a few weeks out just to think about it, yeah. make some plans and get everyone on the same page. Um, but but for me, nothing would change because I, you know, I like what I do. Yeah, you know? same here. Yeah, well, in fact, I really enjoy what I do. This is my chosen profession and career. Yeah. Uh, it's not one that I stumbled across. No, it was cho- my chosen path, and, and I enjoy that. And that's, uh, you're one of the, probably the lucky few. Love your job. Mm. You know? All right, today we're going to talk about money, and um, we're going to have a bit of a look at what happened in the budget and uh, how good or bad that was. First of all, they're sort of taking your... Uh, your, your party political hat off, regardless of which uh, path you go down. If you had to look at the budget and pick out a couple of good things, what are the good things about the budget that uh, for someone who might be thinking about investing or, or perhaps even just surviving? Well, those that are, if you think about surviving, well, things like nothing was taken off the table, so right. everything that was there still exists, you know, you yep. know, winter energy supplement, all those sort of things. So that's all there with winter approaching. Although, dare I say it, I mean... What is it today? 18 degrees. Last week it was 21. The rest of the week's looking the same. Winter hasn't quite arrived. It's more like an Indian summer. And um, But look, see, so nothing was taken off the table. Um, some people would say, oh, it's really, really good. We've got a um, little bit more of an infrastructure focus. So we're going to spend a little bit of money on that in, in and on that area. Uh, a little bit of assistance for um, those with um, for prescriptions at the chemist. But after that... Um, yeah, I'm struggling to find anything more, and that's why the title of my recent piece in the uh, Hawke's Bay Today, then cross-syndicated mm-hmm. into the Herald, was um, boring and inflationary. Yeah, because there wasn't there wasn't a lot of sizzle. Uh, it was actually rather dull, and unfortunately, at a time when we, as in you and I, as the retail public, Joe Sixpack, as the Americans call it. We've been asked to pull in our spending, ran it in, yep. um, but unfortunately um, the government didn't do the same with their budget because effectively what the budget was um, in mid-May is effectively their plans for the next year mm-hmm. and for some of the larger spend over the next five years um, of what the government plans plans to spend. And if they plan to spend a lot, it's inflationary. Yep. And uh, so so that was that was a little bit disappointing for many. Unsurprising, uh, though, in many ways, isn't it? Because, I mean, if a country like Germany, I understand, have gone into recession, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's got to have a flow on right across the, the globe, doesn't it? I mean, America's not faring very well. Is England doing very well? So how are we expecting to do any better? Um, I think, true, but I think we're not comparing an apple with an apple mm-hmm. because when you think about the issues they have, they have a, um energy-led recession. So remember, you know, most of their manufacturing sector uh, and households are powered by uh, Russian gas. Anyone, you know, yeah. you know what's happened in the last mm-hmm. in the last eighteen months or last fifteen months? It's been rather problematic if you're reliant on Russian gas because you know what, you can't get it; no. it's turned off. Um, so they've had a, a major a major shock 
uh, in that area where the costs of actually running the factories, in some cases, it means that the uh, the costs of producing the goods far exceeds the uh, revenue received from selling the goods, so therefore you shut your factories down and mothball them. Um, it's just a simple analogy I'll use there. Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas ours is slightly different. So if you think many people at the moment, I think, would be now, I've never seen a survey done on this, but I would imagine some people will actually be relatively happy to have a shallow recession if it just saw that the cost of living was to become less and easier. Because at the moment, we've got it where it's kind of set up where at the moment that if our economy booms and does well, yeah. then so does inflation, and therefore it's a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. So the fact, the way that the Reserve Bank will try to um, slay the dragon, as we've used that little discussion before, the dragon being inflation, the way you do it, you know, you need the economy to slow. You need people to actually pull their horns in and actually, you know, spend a little less and close their wallets. Um, so that's why I think we're slightly different than the Germans because our inflation at the moment is higher than many of our trading partners. And unfortunately for you and I, when we go to the supermarket, our inflation on things like food and veg is is simply yeah. astronomical. Yes. It's uh, in some cases, it's four times inflation. So if you've got inflation running at like, um, yeah, seven percent. Heck, I saw some, I saw some veggies that are up forty percent. Mm. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, so that means that many people are going without. Mm-hmm. Many people are changing what they eat, what they you know they consume, their diet. There's some downstream effects of doing that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Now you're a very astute. Uh, Financial person, I wonder if we if we wound the clock back mm. and took COVID completely out of COVID. Let's just say COVID didn't happen. Yep, we had to borrow fifty billion plus. Where do you think? What sort of conversation do you think we'd we'll be having today if COVID hadn't come along? Okay, so you're saying if we still borrowed the fifty billion? No, no, we didn't have to borrow. The 50 oh, we didn't billion. have to borrow. Now, if we didn't have to borrow the fifty billion for COVID, what, what would we be talking about today? Do you think? Uh, well, we wouldn't have the inflationary environment no. we have right now. We wouldn't have had the um, the cost of living crisis. Yeah, um, yeah. and so, uh, and the governments the government's P and L profit loss. You know the amount that mm. they earn through taxation, the amount they spend uh, um, uh, would would be far less. Whereas we've had a step change in that area. We've had you know really large inflation, which means. Unless you have indexation of um, tax brackets, irrespective of what you're doing, you pay more tax because you move into a higher bracket. Yeah. Uh, even though you actually haven't got a head. No. So the government's on a hiding to nothing, really, isn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, it's a bit of a bind. Yeah, yeah it's 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 pretty difficult. And you know, there's those old um, quotes. You know, it's the economy stupid that was pinned back in the Clayton uh, Clinton era yep. uh, when he defeated George Bush Senior. You remember that. Not many American presidents only get one term, mm. and Bush Senior was one of them. Yes. And you know, they were beaten by the fact that the um, Clinton campaign was run on the economy, and most people ultimately think through their wallet. Yeah. Now, the Labor uh, government have decided that uh, super is going to stay at sixty-five. That's a bit of a dumb idea, really, isn't it? When you <laughs> when you boil it down, because even National taking it up to sixty-seven, it's not going to come in for years. That's crazy as well, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. Well, I think what is it, uh, two thousand forty-four or something? Yeah. Figure that. Saying that it'll be go to sixty seven, yeah. and whereas all of our trading, all by like one of our trading partners, everyone's either at sixty seven or mm. sixty eight now, yeah. and we're hanging in there at sixty five. I mean, we, you know, there are less babies produced per citizen mm-hmm. in New Zealand now, 
Um, so because you got to remember that it's the next generation that support the current generation and so forth. Um, so like when I one day retire, maybe let's just hypothetically say there is superannuation then as in state funded. Um, so imagine there was, well, I would be reliant on my children and their children and their children's children mm-hmm. to be paying for my my um, lifestyle and retirement from mid-60s. Well, that's kind of crazy because because at the moment if I talk to an actuary, uh, if I'm relatively fit and healthy at age 65, so I'm not on a dialysis machine, I don't have a heart condition, etc., I'm expected as a male Kiwi to live until I'm in my early to mid-90s. Mm. That is 30 years supported by the taxpayer. Yeah. Wow. How good is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I know I know some people that actually find like their lifestyle declines in retirement and many people, the, the kind of halcyon days were aged like 45 through 60, not 65 plus. No. I can understand why people who, you know, might have worked in a coal mine like my granddad did and my father uh, in his days, he was a, a labourer and he not quite worked himself to death, but, you know, he had to retire at 65 because he was... They tired. He was buggered. They were buggered. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, for many of us now, that's not the case. We could quite happily work till we're 70, couldn't we? Yeah, very, yeah, yes, correct. And many people do. I mean, you look at the people, the, the amount of retired folk um, for two reasons. Firstly, they want a slightly fatter wallet so they can have a bit more fun on the weekend. And secondly, it's actually good for the grey matter. It's actually good yeah. for your mental health. Absolutely. Um, and a huge portion of the population do have that extra supplementary income over and above both um, NZ Super, so that's the superannuation provided by the government, plus their own um, uh, investments. Mm-hmm. So they have the third, which, of course, is working those few extra hours. Yes, indeed. And uh, that's a good segue into talking about KiwiSaver, isn't yes. it? Because uh, superannuation, whether you like it or not, sooner or later the age is going to go up which means that uh, we're going to have to work a bit longer, but we should also be looking after our KiwiSaver. Absolutely. Well, look, you know, um, you know, if you look after the pennies, the pounds will take care yeah. of themselves. So if you're saving a few pennies today, whew, there's a, quite a few pounds in um, mm. 30 to 40 years' time. Is, well, that's what I tell my kids. I say to them, well, you guys, this is a... This is this capital is for the long haul, so you know you want to you know treat it with respect, allow it to grow, take on some growth and riskier assets, and leave it well alone and let it grow. Do you ever see the time, Nick, when the government might make you we save it one hundred percent compulsory? It makes sense, doesn't it? Really? Well, it does, but but look, there are um, there are, there are some people that say you shouldn't make it co- uh, compulsory and that you should allow people to have the freedom to choose because they might invest all of their capital in their business Mm -hmm. or they have an alternative strategy. And, yeah, and so just that whole idea of compulsion, like 100% that everyone has to participate, some people are adamantly against that. There doesn't appear to be any appetite uh, in any of the parties in terms of the manifestos that I have read historically that have said that they plan to make that happen. What do you think should have happened with tax? Should it have gone up? Um, I would say at the moment, no. And I think if you think about the taxes where, you know, it was only a week before the budget, it was announced by the uh, Prime Minister that it will be no uh, increase in, um, or no new taxes. And of course, out comes the budget a week later and they've moved the trust tax rate from 33 to 39% mm-hmm. to match the upper bracket because it was believed that people were retaining capital and trust rather than... Um, you know, rather than um, allowing those to um, to go out to people at the upper bracket, 
Oh, I mean, to be honest, like the figures that were released, it's going to raise something like an extra three hundred and fifty million a year, which is. I know that sounds like a lot of money, but it is chump change. It's petty cash. It really, it's it's literally a penny in the dollar. Yeah. It's 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 a non-event, but it has a big big. Uh, it has a lot of political weight that goes towards those that believe that hey, the wealthy should pay more. But look, unfortunately, for for many people that have trusts. Now I know there are a lot of wealthy people that have trusts, but the bulk of it, you know, Pareto's alive and well. Yeah. The bulk of the trusts, the eighty percent, they're just normal folk. Yeah, it might be a plumber, might be your electrician that has a trust, and it's there for risk mitigation purposes. They're not they're not very wealthy people. Yeah, no. they're, they're good middle income folk, bread and butter, hardworking folk that use a trust for legitimate reasons, not for tax sheltering. And unfortunately, a lot of them are going to be caught up in this. And I think that was I think it was a real shame. There was. There was no subtle nuance around how this was portrayed, that it was attacking um, the wealthy. Mm. And unfortunately, not everyone that has a trust is wealthy. No, indeed. It wasn't much of a budget for anyone, really, was it? I mean, normally in uh, election year, you, you might expect a bit of a lolly scramble, but uh, that didn't really happen for anyone. I mean, <clears throat> what do you think about the uh, the early childhood education funding? Well, on the face of it, it looked pretty good, but... Well, the reality? It, well, it did, but then if you looked at the fine print, it was talking about increasing that. You know, to achieve that funding, you needed to increase the number of um, students or children uh, per carer, um, early childhood teacher. Um, so a lot of people have said, "Hey, whoa, this is um, this is not quite. You know, this is no panacea." Um, so yeah, unfortunately, as they always say, you know, it's not the sale price; it's the fine print that you should look through. Yes. That's right. Um, but, it's but, true. but look, I mean, prior to prior to this, um, a lot of people felt that possibly the government would come up with something really interesting, like you know the first the first seven and a half thousand dollars of earnings, irrespective of how wealthy they are, would be zero percent tax, yeah. which is what many jurisdictions have overseas. Mm-hmm. Because the fact is that you've got little Johnny with his milk run. Why tax an individual where the the burden of that and the cost of collecting that tax is relatively high, and the person really is, you know, they are. This is um this is a a very very um you know bare bones existence when you're earning a very small amount of capital, yeah. and and the other thing, one hundred percent of it is spent, none of it is saved, so. Yeah, and that's the argument why foreign jurisdictions have done that, and some of them have aspirations to continue to increase that non-taxable threshold because it just makes sense, and that everyone over and above that pays their fair share. So people were saying, you know, numerous articles, and people were like, "That would be, that would be, now that's a game changer. That would be really interesting." And a whole lot of people that are taxpayers disappear, and they're not taxpayers, and they just keep what they earn. But we didn't have that. Well, national parties say they're going to rein in government spending, and the way they're talking, we're all going to be saying hallelujah once they've done that. We're going to be in uh, in clover. That's not right either, is it? Well, it depends. Or is it? Uh, well, it depends. And look, um, so I don't think it's. I mean, if I give, if you and I are both given a hundred dollars and we're asked to cook a meal, you know, I might cook a meal and and I might do it really, really poorly and spend more than the hundred dollars. And the nutritional output and what I provide may be inferior. And you can, you just may be an absolute magician, um, you know, master chef. And you're able to produce um, the same number of calories, 
you know, better nutrition for seventy dollars and have thirty left mm-hmm. over. Look, so where I'm sorry, where I'm going with that that story is that the quality of spend and the outputs derived from the spend are the most important part. Not the hundred dollars, not the amount of the spend. It's the outputs. And I think that's where the opposition parties are heading to, where they're saying, hey, look, we can't just feed the beast more Mm. and more capital or cash um, from the taxpayer without saying, well, what do we actually get from it? Mm. So that's that's the angle that's being taken at the moment. It's the quality of the spend, not the quantum of the spend. This is the main problem, though, the real problem, if we look at it, uh, you know, it's visionary and it's being realistic, is uh, that we're just too small a country and our productivity just isn't big enough. Um, well, I think uh, something that's come up uh, a few times in the last six months, and it's coming to the fore more and more, is people are kind of realising that we're not a wealthy country. Mm. And when you look at the gross domestic product, and and look, some people have said, oh, you know, GDP is a really poor measure of a country's wealth. Well, it's just a it's just a really easy, simple measurement. Um, but the fact is that you cannot argue away that if you have a low level of gross domestic product, GDP, then your associated government services will be inferior and poorer to someone that has a high GDP and much more money to spend on those areas. And that's why you look across the ditch at our cousins, our ANZAC cousins, they have a far greater level of GDP and and a significant portion of their government services are broader and deeper than what we have. And to compare us with them uh, is like hitting your head against a brick wall because until our GDP changes, until in terms of in where we earn more as a nation, we are more productive and smarter, you cannot covet what your neighbour has if you're not prepared to work and earn and be as productive as the neighbour. Yeah. And that's what we have at the moment. We, talk, we look over the ditch and we look at the drugs they can supply, mm-hmm. um, you, know, um, you know, niche amazing drugs. Well... We look, dare I say, we just do not have their wealth. And by the way, they look at other nations and they think the same. Yeah, they've got iron ore, though, haven't they? Correct. That, that really helps. Well, well, they do. Look, they just have a, they have a broader basket yes. of materials they sell to the world, and a lot of their, um, a lot of their commodities, their basket of commodities, just seem to be in Everyone vogue wants. at the present time. <laughs> yeah, whereas you know, at the moment, you know, if you want to sell a basket of apples, at the moment. People don't want our apples. Let's presume there's a change of government, and I often ask you to make predictions. Let's uh, wind the, the clock forward uh, three years from now. Mm. Do you think we're going to be hearing the National Party saying, well, you know, it's six years the Labour Party had to fix this up, and that's why we're in the, in the schmuck that we're in now? Is it going to be the story? Uh, of course. That's always pretty standard. Every party uses that for a period of time. I mean, I think, I think over, over one electoral cycle, it's very difficult to pe- for people to bring through through massive change and for it to be felt. I mean, you can bring forward change, but the results of that aren't felt until it's further down the track. So I think people are prepared to accept that someone has a term to get things sorted in, their, yeah. in the second term, that it starts to come to the fore, and in the third term you really get to see what happened, yeah. which is the same under Clark and Key. Yes, that's right. Um, Yes, yeah, so at the moment, I, it would be very difficult for the for the incumbent at the present time to argue away that, hey, this is what was done back in the day because yeah. they've had um, five and a half years to make things happen. And, of course, the big thing, um, and it's in your article, mm. uh, 29 cents per litre extra Oof. as of July the 1st. That's going to be a killer, isn't it? 
that's that's a beast. Um, look, and I don't mean to sound so emotive on it, but look, if for those that are for, for those that have means or an electric car mm-hmm. um, or have the ability to walk to work, um, it's a little bit of a non-event. Yeah. But if you have if you have a limited limited wage, limited salary, and that a fairly significant portion of your expenditure at the moment goes out in the form of rent and petrol mm-hmm. and uh, and normal supermarket groceries, 29 extra cents a litre on fuel when you've got a commute, you cannot escape it because no. you can't just get up 20 minutes earlier and decide, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk to work. I mean, if you've got a 30-minute commute, yep. forget it. And if there's not a cycle path and you don't have the ability to buy an electric car, I mean, what I'm getting at, it's an unavoidable cost. And it's a flow on. It's not only oh, the, totally. the petrol, it's the food and oh, everything that comes through, by road. It flows yeah. through to everything. So, um, so Ken, you will not see me on the 30th of June queuing up to fill my car. <laughs> I would have done that a few days prior because you can imagine it's going to be bedlam. Oh, it's going to be chaos. I mean, 20, you know, 29 cents. I mean, um, That's huge. Yeah, it's, it's, she's, it's a biggie. It is yep. huge. Yep. We're out of time, Nick. If someone wants some good advice uh, on finances, where do they get it? Oh, they can come down and see us at 204 Kadamu Road in Hastings. That's the Black Basalt Stone Building with the Tartan logo. Or they can come and see us on the Terrace in Wellington. We've actually, Ken, we've just this week refurbished our new office in Wellington. So, uh, But it's fabulous too. Uh, it's a lot better than what we had. <laughs> <laughs>